time or have a not interesting time. So hopefully we have an interesting time. Hello everybody, welcome to Wombat Radio. I'm going to, because of my Australian pronunciation, ask my guests today to, interview, to introduce themselves. You want to start? My name is Jorn uh, Skullberg. I'm a Norwegian sonographer and choreographer based in Copenhagen, Denmark. And my name is Lene Bank, and I'm a Danish producer and agent based in Copenhagen, Denmark. And my name is Matt Cornell, and I grew up in Darwin and I'm wearing a crocodile on my shirt for the occasion. <laughs> um, so I downloaded your PDF and I flicked through it and I'm excited to read that once my season's finished. And I saw a piece last night with Yuli that you were scenographer on. And choreographer. And choreographer yeah. on. How do you... I just... Very broadly, what are you thinking about that leads you to make those things like to make that show what was he thinking about or to make that document what is the thoughts that won't leave you alone that you're like ah, I need to solve this or I need to deal with this I think with the, with the collaboration I have with Yuli yeah. Appelman in, in Yuli Yu as we call ourselves there is uh, that's a total blur of art and life I would say in, a, in another way than some of my other projects and practices. Mm. We did a piece in 2012 called uh, Everything Ends With Flowers, which was right after Yuli's transition and operations, which led to a lot of complications. And uh, when we made that, we, I could work with Yuli one hour a day. Okay. Um, and. Uh, it was a very traumatized body on stage. And through that process, making that piece, we grew together as artists. And I don't think we really knew what we were doing. And I mean, Julia was post-operated. I had been through a very, very heavy period of deep depression. Uh, so none of us should actually work, I think. We were kind of in a, in a normal, uh, normal business. Yeah. Uh, but we made that piece and we put that out into the world and at that time we knew that we were working on a geology, I think. Mm -hmm. So we knew it would be um, uh, another piece and two years later we created Everything Remains, uh, which is the piece we have presented here at Super 7. And both of those pieces investigate the potential of the tired body. Uh, what, what does that mean? I would say, like, just artistically, that I think often a tired body is a more interesting body than a virtuous uh, ballet body. I mean, that can be impressive, but uh, I think a tired body asks another question. It has another existential dimension in it. And we can mirror ourselves in it as audience uh, in a very open way. Sorry, I need to settle No, you gotta do what you gotta do. It's a hard job. And um, 
I mean, it's a long story, <laughs> the story with, with Yuli and me. Of course. But I would say what, uh, to be, try to be concrete on it, it's, it's uh, this very autobiographical dimension. It is a piece yeah. with and about Yuli, yeah. but it's also a very big focus on form in it. Uh, because I'm not interested in, in realistic documentary, here you go, in your face, and I think I think what we have succeeded with in this piece is to balance these very like purely biographical hard facts and translate that into a poem with very very focused visual gaze and choreographical gaze. Uh, and when we, when you and I, you and I work, we are very inspired by Helene Cesson, which is a French writer and philosopher, uh, and she writes a lot about writing okay. and about death and about dreams and about birds and flowers and she she has this kind of saying about writing reading and rewriting and i will say in the choreographical practice with yuli and me that's kind of our method that yuli writes something i read it and then i rewrite it with her uh, so it's a very intimate intimate collaboration and I would say actually what me and Yuli does is beyond collaboration yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I was going to ask about yeah. that with the with the choreographing and then the re-choreographing like because when something's beyond collaboration actually a lot of the time it's relationship maintenance or like being aware of what effect you're having on the person that you're making with and that is just as much a guiding force for the piece mm. and so I wonder about who you made the piece for good question I think I don't know what Yuli would answer yeah. I think I I made it for Yuli I think that's actually a very driven force uh, knowing that that this can communicate something on a broader level, and and also we have we have a, a transgender body on stage, but that's not our theme. I mean, that's our material, and and that's also the feedback we get from audiences that they mirror themselves in that, mm -hmm. and and that we have got that openness around the piece, even if it's like a very hyper-concrete ready-made, as we, we call like Yuli is a ready-made on stage. Um, no, but I think, I think I made this piece for Yuli, actually. I haven't thought about that, but uh, that's, I think, is an attempt on an honest answer. Mm -hmm. Is that, um, is that okay in the like the artistic culture that you're working in because I know Australia is very much about universality about lowest common denominator trying to affect everybody everywhere and I know that say um, Grayson and Gavin have told me that whenever their shows that they've made for Australia they've taken to say um, places in Germany people are suspect of their entertainment value whereas it's expected in Australia that you need to hook us before we'll listen to you and I wonder what just the culture that you're working with in where someone's like, okay, this piece has validation even though it's not for me as the 
theatre goer or the patron of the venue or whatever. No, but I think I think they are not questioning that actually. Yeah. And also when they see it, they definitely not questioning yeah. it that way. And and also I believe in poetry and I trust my audience. So uh, I think in that sense I, I, I feel calm. I mean you never know reactions but, but I think uh, you should not underestimate your audience because usually they know more about the piece than, than what we do. I don't know what you think about that. No, that because, question no, no I, because I think it's quite interesting because I'm thinking that um, like my relation to, to Jorn is that uh, we're collaborating. And we've been doing that for now a year and a half, almost two years. Um, and and the reason why uh, we started collaborating, I'm just gonna, it's gonna be a little bit of a detour here. Yeah. But it was that I was actually doing a, a workshop about how you collaborate and um, and how you build your network and how you get out there. And then uh, while I was doing that, I have, was also coming from. Um, um, I had been working as uh, um, I, I was tem I was for one year at Skåne Theatre in Sweden, and there's a wonderful woman there called uh, Tanya, and she's uh, working with a, um, a program that is uh, like in the heart of what this, the, that organization does. It's called Dialogue, um, and the whole theatre, like that whole organization, are working with the main question which is who has the right to be on stage. Mm -hmm. And after I've been working with them, it was a question that I really took with me and, and that I wanted to con continuously challenge myself, you know, because um, also when you have worked for, uh, I've been working in, with dance and choreography and, and distribution for, for 17 years now, and then suddenly you realize that even though I'm still exploring, trying to find my way, that there's also this, that you build a body of knowledge. So therefore I, I have to be, um, I have to, this is, I have to use my power, if that's a word, I have to use my power well, uh, or I have to be fair in terms of who, uh, you know, looking at my own roster. Am I actually pre representing and giving opportunity to uh, uh, the variety of expressions that I think is important. Is that kind of balanced in the, the way I work? I'm very critical with myself at the moment because it's also, right now I'm only working with male uh, artists. I think that's wrong. I think I, I was working with a, a, a female um, choreographer for nine years and I made changes in that uh, just recently, but it also leaves me with the question, I need to work with female artists because otherwise I'm part of a, a problem that I'm not giving access or you know yeah. so kind of that detail so when it got so so when I met Jon and I was aware of the piece uh, everything uh, remains because it was already uh, produced um, so Jon and I started talking trying to figure out how we could collaborate and, and one of the important steps was also for me to meet Julie and have a meeting and a conversation um, and, I, and both uh, Julie and I, we were, we were nervous, I think, about that meeting. Mm. And, and I think we all were, because we didn't know where it was going or how it would be. But that, I still remember those hours of just sitting in a cafe 
talking about the urgent issue, issues of why we do what we do uh, and the empathy uh, that also uh, Julie is working with and and uh, and how she um, you know f that you can work with Julie's body and her mind and her thoughts and the way that you st stage it it uh, it resonates in the audience and maybe it even gives hope to somebody in the audience and that for me is extremely important did that make sense yes i wonder how you in encourage other people to consider the power that they have i like now you mentioned the, the book that I wrote with my colleague Ausari uh, Kastotir from, from Iceland. So there we were asked by the, the ISOT organization, which is um, a collaboration between Nordic countries to make a, a platform similar to APA, what you're bringing forward, uh, of, uh, similar, similar to Dance Massive. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, we should, that we were asked to give advice for, for artists who, who wanted to kind of understand uh, the international collaboration more um, and that became a long conversation between the two of us where all of these issues were that we discussed all of these things so I think like in, in, the, in terms of the power I think like with I'm not interested in power I okay. re, I, it but might, you recognize that you have it I recognize that I have it but I'm not interested in it I'm interested if, if I can empower somebody else or if I can be part of something empowering, and I think it's a, it, I think that's a big difference. There difference. was a product that came out. So in the old days of Nokia mobile phones, mm. you could actually just take your battery out and put it in somebody else's phone. You mm. can't do that with iPhones. And there's mm. a product that came out where I could plug my phone directly into yours, mm. and I could give you more charge, but mm. I would lose charge. Mm. Do you think that? That you're giving away your power by empowering others or do you think it's something that it proliferates and that there is more power like just talking about the tour that we did now and that we are part of like we are we four people on the tour yeah. and uh, we were smiling yesterday even though we were tired because we we feel uh, the, that we are empowering each other that we are being um, I think the words that we call it, it's like uh, the, the professionalism in being uh, empowered, the professionalism in empowering each other, and also the base of the, uh, that it also creates a friendship. But it's more this thing about, you talk about the relationship, that you have to nurture that. And then that can be a, a friendship, a professional relationship, but it's, but it's that you have to take care of um, uh, the balance of the... Of and that. yourself as well. Yeah. yeah. So that you can become resources for each other, not uh, dependent on each other. And I think also regarding the thematics, this piece mm. kind of is a platform for this piece, which is a tired body, mm. affects also really much our process. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm, we use, we work with these limitations, uh, which have colored process a lot and that has to kind of reflect all the levels of the process um, and uh, and you need to have patience you you need to accept when you have to cancel the rehearsal 
or make it uh, shorter, uh, don't plan too long days, uh, and uh, and I think also that colors our whole collaboration. Mm -hmm. And also when 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 I have the other projects for my own company, Convoy Exceptional Mail, I. Uh, I work also often with uh, non-trained bodies on stage, also kind of the same ready-made concept, bringing somebody in who can represent a story or a physical quality uh, to uh, enlighten a bigger theme uh, or idea, that that demands another kind of ethics than when you work with, with professionals. Um, and, uh, and also us, us sitting here, Speaking about Yuli, which is not here. I mean, mm. when you when you use people and or exhibit people or or convey people, you you there is another map of ethics coming up, mm. which I learned a lot from also bringing in if I work with with purely professionals, mm. uh, because we have to be demand our professionalism, mm. but we also have to be kind. Mm. This what. We discovered with the blokes project mm. myself and joshua thompson doing people would ask us if the blokes we were spending time with were going to appear with us mm. and they hadn't considered that actually we have a duty of protection mm. between the uh the gaze of the public and mm. somebody who is not asking for it mm. uh, and who would be torn apart by it mm. somehow part of your professionalism is knowing the one bit that is you that is not questionable and then knowing that you can do a million other things in a rehearsal space mm -hmm. and that doesn't compromise who you are mm -hmm. that's just a part of the job mm -hmm. but when like you say when you're if you haven't had that training or that methodology mm -hmm. and you start being broken down or you start being exhibited that can be really undermining I wonder then, do you still fall into times of frustration where you like get on track and you know what needs to be achieved and it just can't happen today or it can't happen this week? Not in creating the piece. Okay. I would say I'm uh, not in the creation. Also because. I'm not very creative, and I, take, I don't, I don't, I don't believe so much in process. Okay. In, in the way that that, uh, I think the choreography or the movements for everything remains. Julian and I made in six days, but then the eight weeks we used to how do we work with this movement? What is the tempo? What is the timing? Is there a gesture? Is the hand on the forehead or on the shoulder? Yeah. Uh, so. And what were you like? What was your? What did you listen to to make that decision? Like, watching, watching. And you like instinct or intuitively, um, intuitively. Canon of art and physical poses in art or. No, I think. Uh, the way the superheroes stand. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, but we, we, we were reading Helen Sissot and kind of had her with us in the process. Uh, otherwise... Was that accidental or that was very deliberate to have this third collaborator who was absent? 
Well, she came in already when we made uh, Everything Ends With Flowers, so she's kind of been with us from the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, so I think with it's not often I actually look to actively to other art pieces informing my work. Of course they do, because they are inside me, because what I read and what I see. But I, I never work with a mood board, for instance. A what? A mood board, like, like designers. Tell me about a mood board. Yeah, no, but I, I don't use it. <laughs> but, 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 but like the designers, they always have these like the preferential images. Oh, really? And, uh, and, and have that wall and this kind of... This is like other choreographers or...? Yeah, and and designers uh, really, really use it. They are yeah, kind wow. of that's taught as a method. Wow. Uh, okay. So, but but I, uh, I never. That is more maybe I have a book, and that's on my desk. But that's not necessarily the concrete image. But the atmosphere of that. Mm. Uh, I think that was because what I would like to say about composing atmospheres. Um, I, and as soon as I saw the back of the stage and that little tube poking through the curtains, and I was like, all right, I'm waiting for that <laughs> atmosphere that going to bring into this room. Uh, but I just, uh, no, just sorry, yeah, but, you know, yeah, but yeah, you please. say, you know, you don't work with mood boards, but I do, because you know I have my, my wall in my office, and uh, for, uh, for one year, the, the postcard with Supercell has been on that. Wow. Wall. Yeah. So it was really, uh, I, I, uh, I need to visualize things and it helps me. And also one thing that I've been writing on that wall is, you are a micro business. Because I really sometimes have to remind myself of that because I want to change the world in a week. Mm. And then I just have to work with the strategy of a micro business and knowing that uh, it will happen, but maybe slower than I yeah, think. And that survival is actually an accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then also this thing that, like one question that lingers with me is also this thing that you have, uh, like we live now and then we die and then we don't know what happens. And, uh, and that's also what is extremely exciting about working with the contemporary because you don't know if the contemporary is going to be a monument of history in the years that will follow. And Imagine. then it's also then in terms of my profession is that um, you see a few uh, organizations that uh, manage to kind of uh, hand things over, sometimes because it's a family business, so the next generation takes over. Uh, but being an agent and a, and a producer is a very... Um, it's a weird place to be. It's a very fragile place to be. And sometimes that role is misconceived. Uh, and, and, you know, in, in terms of uh, what is my hope for my efforts is that that, that role is perceived in a, in a, maybe in a different way or in an updated way or in a, uh, let's join the collaboration way. Mm. I don't know. How do you deal with the fragility? Uh, this is for both of you, really, because it, it, it seems like fragility is part of the power. Mm. Um, it's instinct. For me, it's instinct. And then also knowing that I'm, I am going to die one day. So I'd rather die knowing that I did what I could and what I enjoyed. Then, uh, and yeah. 
It sounds like work. Yes. <laughs> but it's also this thing that uh, growing older, because I'm I'm 41 now, and uh, what what do you do with that uh, experience, with that age? Uh, when how how do you, and then I get get back to the kind of. Uh, uh, question about uh, how do you navigate your mandate because through your experience you get a mandate so mm. how do you navigate that you somehow inherit yeah mandate. yeah you don't know if you invented it or if it just no yeah. and it's also this thing that like on a weekly basis I will ask myself uh, where am I making a difference am I making a difference in my collaboration with you mm. am I making a difference in a collaboration with uh, a, a governmental organization am I making a difference uh, with, uh, with being Auntie Lena. With being Auntie Lena? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So it's it's all of these things. And I think that the human aspect needs to be present yeah. both on a professional side and on a and in the in the, in the private uh, side of course, you know. Mm. Because art is a way of it. my my claim is that uh, what I want is that um, I don't. I don't know if I believe in art for art's sake, but I do believe that if you have a natural, uh, if you're not freaked out about art or performing arts, that is just, a, it's something that you can use as you can use a, a tool when you're building a house. That you can use art as a as an as an instrument for for thinking or for reflecting. And what I have experienced personally is that. Because I work with uh, life and death and everything in between on, on stage, because that's the questions that are brought forward in, in, within various uh, productions I've been part of. Then when I, in my private life, have been in very, very difficult times, I was like, wow, okay, now I feel the empowerment of my profession because I'm not, I'm not freaking out in this really... Uh, difficult place if there's loved ones that are dying or you know it's like it will still be tough but you have a place where you can go and read a poem and cry and, and there's a you're not afraid of the emotions Yeah, there's no, like, you're still somehow part of the thing that you're trying to work with and within it. Alter. And I think that's also something, I mean, with, in the nature of, of our art form, you know, yes. if it's dance or theatre or like the performing arts that we, we use bodies yes. uh, as our instruments, as our images, as our brushes, 
so you feel comfortable that, and that uh, that is the also where the potential is. Uh, I often speak about this one-to-one -one scale relationship between the audience and the performer. Even if it's an opera singer or a dancer or an actor, that uh, whatever kind of show it is of its nature uh, or location or genre, that body you are watching is in the same three-dimensionality as you as an audience. It has a pulse, uh, high or low. It also woke up this morning from bed, being tired. Uh, and, and there I think there is a very strong potential in between that. And the novel cannot do that, the movie cannot do that, the painting cannot do that. And, and it's in that kind of transaction between people there is maybe a potential in this art form. Because I don't because I don't I don't really think art changes anything. But I, uh, and and I also I see my work as a constant loss. I think I find I find kind of calm in accepting that it's a constant loss all the all the efforts you're putting into it maybe it would be different if you were a painter who could let's say produce products who, who, who come into the market because our pieces disappear every evening i mean you can keep on performing them but but it's a it's a constant loss but that is not necessarily a negative thing uh, we are, we are mortal, you know, it's... Uh, That's what I was thinking, living is a loss and uh, the entropy of sentience somehow. And that what a beautiful thing that when you're, as you're losing, it's because you're giving it away, not that it's being stolen from you. Exactly. And I actually think that that's where it becomes really interesting, where you understand that uh, it only becomes better when you're generous and when you're kind. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't be firm or focused, but it's just being um, just being honest in the in, in, in the values you work with and, and why you work with them. Um, and and one thing that I really enjoy is this um, the conversations that we have. Like that, we talk a lot about these things about what, why are we working with what we're working with, and what are the, like, why are these words uh, important? And also, even though you make pieces with no words or very few words, uh, the words that we do use uh, are powerful. And I think we also live in a time uh, uh, where words are extremely powerful. They've been for a long time, but the, the way that they're just so rapidly been kind of shared and shared and shared. Uh, and I think it's important to to understand that. And and, and, and also for, for kids growing up and, and uh, you know, going to school or to, to, to for them to understand the, 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 power. the power of words or, or, or uh, that w uh, words can hurt or that uh, words can uh, make people happy or they can, dis you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, to consider. Said Auntie Lena. <laughs> 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 so maybe mention that the reference for Auntie Lena is, yeah. is uh, a sticker on your 
cover for your it's a sticker phone. it's a sticker uh, on the cover of my my iPhone and it's actually a sticker made by my my little cousin who um, who lives in New York mm. but his mother is actually here from Queensland mm. and uh, her name is Karen Jacobson yeah. and she's also the Australian voice of Siri so if you if you can't find your way yes Karen yeah Kaz. Karen, she will help you navigate and wow. recalculate. Incredible. <laughs> Just jumping, but still not jumping. I think like uh, the the collaboration between me and Leanda, like me as an artist, and, and you in your role, is also being a little bit a series for me as an artist. When when I'm lost, mm. it's it's very important the conversation I have with Leanda who is not part of my artistic team or one of my performers. I can I can doubt in another way with you than I can with the people I have asked working with me. And, and that space is has become very, very important within my practice because I want to quit every week, you know? But but it's so nice to kind of have at least I cannot quit for Lena at least, you know, it kinda of, in that way it empowers, you know? Um, no, but I think it's this thing about uh, nurturing the doubt in a positive sense. Mm. So it actually becomes a place where you can analyze the, the situation. And so like we have these conversations that are extremely important and you have your artistic team. And but I have colleagues in, 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 uh, in other countries that are working with similar jobs as I do. And I go to them and have uh, similar important conversations about you know, sharing my doubts that I cannot always show uh, with Jon, but still what I do like about how Jon and I are working is that uh, when I started in the business and I had no experience, I thought I should have all the answers and I constantly felt I should be uh, 10 steps ahead to kind of keep the, the, the team calm and like the first tour I did, I did 100 shows around the world and was tour managing uh, 15 women on stage and they were all uh, older than me so it was really kind of a balance it was an um, exercise in 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 uh, authority and in, in communication so i think it's i think it's this um now i lost this way a little bit yeah 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 I will just pause for a sec if there's yeah. going to be like online conversations. Sometimes I hold a microphone even if it's not plugged in. Yeah. Because um, people are surprisingly oblivious to their surroundings entirely. That they are oblivious. Yeah. Like not. I think that there's something happening and it's just picked up on But what we could do, there's one more level, we could go up one more level. Yeah, yeah. I like that we are, uh, that we are yeah. ascending. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> because we did a lot of workshops together with the actors. Oh, which we Academy? Like, in Norwegian Theatre uh -huh. Academy. And then what Julia and I went. And, and there I had this... Uh, uh, little bench sometimes so I didn't like was on a chair around the circle but it was still a little distinction <laughs> I do yeah I, I feel like it was one of my pet hates to go to impulse tongues 
with the discussion, the workshops that were actually just discussions. I thought we don't need to be in a dance studio. That could be for the dancing. We don't need to be sitting on the floor. We could have comfortable chairs and, <laughs> oh well. Um, who do you look out to? Like what is, how is the, how is what you do reflected back at you? Through peers or through those peers or through family or? Through emotions. <laughs> I think like, um, I, I find that my, my peers are good at giving feedback uh, and I also acknowledge that I need that. Um, a network that has become very important to me is the, um, I was an ISPA fellow, um, International Society of the Performing Arts, and then there's a group of around 50 fellows from around the world of, uh, it's, it, we are called Emerging Art Leaders, which is a... Uh, Still emerging. Yeah, but I don't know if the word is emerging, but uh, art leaders, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but just to be put in that category is an um, empowering thing. Uh, but the conversations that I've had in that uh, forum has been extremely valuable. Because what I find is that I find people that are as passionate as I am about uh, making a difference or in, in insisting on empathy in society. Uh, and, and not coming from an, a naive point of view, but just working with different strategies in terms of uh, making that conversation real in their local communities. What kind of strategies? No, but it's like, for instance, uh, there's companies here in Australia that work with, uh, like, with children work, uh, and the way they approach their audiences, the way that they make a difference uh, for their communities, uh, just makes me feel proud to be part of an artistic community that bring uh, such high quality to their audiences and take the audiences serious because I think that's also the thing. We, we, we are nothing without, uh, like I'm nothing without the artist and the artist is nothing without the audience, I would say. You could still produce a lot of work without having audiences. Yeah, but and maybe that audience comes after you die as well. <laughs> yeah, that can also be. But I, think, but I think the most frustrating thing is to be uh, an artist without a context. It does, you know, if you are displaced, yeah. well, then and, and, there's, and there's no response to the issues that you deal with that are urgent, important. Uh, there are, part, you know, there are societies where immigration is, a, and also here in Australia. Yeah. Uh, but if if you're dealing with those topics and it's not being picked up by the by the general public, or if it's being dismissed as not important to take a stand on, then you can feel like that's a frustration. I would say, you know, that you have something really important to say and nobody listens. Yeah, I can, I can, I just like my youth from when I was like 15 to 22 working very, very actively in uh, Norwegian environmental NGOs. Uh, 
being both like a hardcore activist, but also meeting in the parliament and with politicians and writing reports um, and being in the media, you know, really like being in the system, being close to the decisions. And, uh, and, ha and then the art kind of won and <laughs> took me. But I, I, am, I am sometimes really missing that feeling of be closer to a potential change. That you are in the art field, you are in the performing art field, which is at least in Denmark very, very marginalized in the public sphere. Mm -hmm. uh, that I invest all the resources in my life into this, which I think is important, but in the big picture, it really make no change. And now I'm really like hard to the art form and myself, but, but having that experience of actually have been able to change decisions, uh, it's, it's a big gap there I'm kind of fighting with. And, mm. and also knowing that, that you are a person with resources, with a certain talent, and did, do you use that right those years we are here on earth? You know, and um, and I kind of uh, question that a lot. And maybe I should stop question it to speaking about it and do something with it. Uh, but so far, art is the thing that you're using your life for. If life is a resource, yes, and 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 relationships, yeah. I would say, like yeah. it's uh, because I'm not like designing objects uh, yeah. it's like create meetings on different levels mm. um, but I think there is a value of also being not in a very strong capitalistic structure even if it is that within the performing field but but I kind of I produce no one can really benefit on what I'm doing, you know, really take, take profit. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, I, I think maybe you disagree with what I'm saying now. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm sitting here with uh, very thoughtful eyes because it's this thing of, uh, like the whole, the whole, like putting value to what we do. Yeah. I think it's very important that we don't fool ourselves and think that we're doing the most important thing in the world. Mm. Um, but I do believe that if nobody was doing what we did, then it I, then it would be a very horrible uh, society to live in. And I think that um, what artists are brilliant uh, at doing is that they uh, they share different strategies of what it means to be a human being, mm. and that they remind us that uh, playfulness is uh, is a way of surviving and that you only survive by constantly reinventing, your, by reinventing yourself. Um, and I think that that gives hope. And, and in, a, in, a, in a time and in communities where there's a loss of, um, uh, of transferal of tradition, uh, this doesn't mean that we, we still have a big need to feel a community. And I think that this thing working with the body and being in a room with other bodies and and uh, just 
uh, having that experience um, is is important. And then there's the other thing of uh, as a professional, I've seen so many shows, and of course I've seen a, a lot of beautiful, strong shows where I was, you know, emotionally. Uh, shaking after I saw shows and I've seen incredibly uh, boring shows where I thought I was going to die by sitting in yet a studio and, and, and missing a dinner with my family but I chose to go there and uh, so I'm um, I, I, I try to keep myself real in my work that I try to be a real person. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a very noble person, you know. But what you do, do you know what I mean? I'm not, me know. You know, but I'm like, I'm like, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to. I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want to mystify uh, what it is that we're doing. I think it's really like, it's just real. I mean, what we, Peter Brook said once that theater is people happening to other people. Mm. Uh, and for me, that like, okay, that's what I'm doing. Mm. It was. It was uh, so clear. Theater is people happening to other people, mm. um, and that potential we should treat carefully. I think that's when I, when I s see shows, art festivals. Sometimes I like s see people who have got a lot of resources, but they they haven't treated kind of that potential in a good way. I think that's usually what provocates me. Uh, as an audience is that and that has nothing to do with like seriousness or humor or or anything but it's like it's a unique situation and uh, and we have asked people to come in and to use their time mm -hmm. uh, and and like would you would you do the same thing in a conversation in front mm -hmm. of somebody mm -hmm. you know it's uh, it's a parameter there you mm -hmm. should uh, kind of control yourself out. But then I want to come back to uh, one of the first questions in this conversation and that was about uh, uh, how it was kind of how the work was perceived or the issues you put on stage. Yeah, and your responsibility. The, and be, because I think one thing, because being working in a Nordic uh, region and kind of having the base uh, there, uh, we, we, are, uh, we are in a lucky situation in the sense that the art can be subsidized by taxpayers' money. Uh, of course, you have to do a lot of work and, and make the applications and show that you are uh, worthwhile the investment and that people will follow you and all of these things. Um, but one thing that I find tricky is that in the Nordic countries, and in, in particular in the uh, artistic communities, uh, if you succeed, if you become a, a commercial success, then you have a hard time with your artistic peers and and that I find is kind of intriguing because you actually did what a lot of people are dreaming of doing and then suddenly your art or the product or the 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 thing you're bringing to the audience uh, where lots of crowds are getting are coming in having good uh, nights in the theater are then kind of uh, maybe not uh, valued or respected yeah but what I think is the uh, the problem, or not the, what, what we have to do as an artistic community together, is that we we have to understand that only a strong artistic community is a community that uh, has a variety of uh, expressions and uh, a variety of artists working with different scales. Um, 
I, I just I basically want the uh, I, 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 like I think a good arts uh, community should be like a rainforest that it needs to have all the different levels and all all different strategies of uh, growth and uh, and survival. Maybe not as much humidity, but you know it's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we need poison snakes. We, we yeah we need it all. <laughs> I I think because I work uh, in kind of from small scale productions like everything remains but also stage grand operas in opera houses and and so I kind of move in between extra large and, and small but then also different contexts and audiences and and what I really hope for is that those questions we get the chance to reflect upon in the smaller scale that those questions can arrive at the main stages and and I believe that that will happen. Also in the in the opera world, which sometimes can feel like a bit reactionary business to deal with, uh, but I think there is more and more brave artistic directors coming on in different houses, choosing to take in new artists to challenge this kind of opera repertoire, which is you know repeating itself all the time. But one thing I'm actually positive about is that. I think slowly but slowly there will be uh, not everywhere, not all the time, but that kind of a sophisticated, serious reflection on existential topics will get their chance at the main stages. That's a hope. Well, maybe that's a goal for me personally. Mm -hmm. When I'm saying it out loud now, kind of having get the access to the main stages. Uh, can deal with the scale, like I mean, on the craftsman's level, mm. um, and because I really think the audience who frequently go to these houses are totally ready and open for for those reflections. That's my big goal, and yeah, I think it's like this, ends, this ends up like a conversation. <laughs> with, uh, artist agent uh, live on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really good. But then I think it's also, and maybe it's not something we have time to explore now in this conversation, but I think it's this thing about uh, censorship and self-censorship. Towards you're, as, yeah, success? To, to, towards success and towards while you are developing as an artist and also yeah. the um, depending on what kind of community you're working in um, and how depending dependent you are of, uh, of funders, collaborators, uh, political uh, conditions. Uh, yeah. I think it's, um, and I think that the artist is always, um, the artist is off, the artist is either perceived as a hero or as a fool. And I think it's, uh, you have to be aware of that when you, um, when you work in this industry, how, how, you know, what kind of, uh, there's a big, there's a, there's a big heritage, you know, it's, uh, and, and we should be aware of that heritage. Um, and we should find strategies that work now. Yeah. And, and also be aware of our privileges. Mm. I mean, even if we're sitting and can complain about funding, complain mm. about, about things, I mean, 
I'm sitting here in Australia mm. on the other side of the world with the peace. Mm. I mean, uh, it's a uh, and and yeah, and we are here supported by Sweden, Denmark, Norway, and and the private foundation. Yeah, you know? yeah. So there's a so so even if you kind of feel set in the corner, mm. it's still check your privileges. Mm. I remember the decision to go and study dance mm. at a college and I didn't know what it meant actually I wanted to be a break dancer mm. but going to university was a way to leave a small town mm. <laughs> um, but I remember rationalizing to myself that even if I never worked in that profession what I had learnt and the physicality and the training and the empathy mm. would be would advance me and make my life easier to mm. live mm. because I would have an understanding of this thing that I have to live in mm. until I die, mm. even if it never earns any money. And then I could go and be a mechanic or a mm. doctor or whatever, but I would understand how to activate my core when I'm under a bonnet of a car. Or, mm. um, but then when you're talking about the privileges, I also see this totally uh, ephemeral privilege that you mentioned before that there is an ongoing professional level focus on literacy of emotion of society of phenomena uh, that you understand it enough that you can so literacy is if you are Usually it's about writing. Mm -hmm. If you can't write or read, you would be called illiterate. Mm -hmm. Yes, I see. And so when I think about literacy with how to hold on to who you are and what you know, but also talk about what else could be, that that's not available to everybody. And for that to be available to us is like some kind of crazy superpower mm -hmm. um, that takes, like you said, it takes all your resources mm -hmm. to keep yourself ready and available mm. to know that who you have become was accidental and you might need to become something else or something mm. else who are you serving mm. i'm just going to mention one of my favorite films and that's billy elliott yeah because i think uh, that story is uh, i love of course that it's about a boy that has the passion for dancing mm. but what i but what i love about that story also is that it's not only like everybody that are related to him, they, they, they are on this immense journey. And um, what I think is also the privilege when you work in the arts is that you can, uh, you can cross uh, so social barriers in a, in a very different way. Yeah. And I actually think that that's one of my biggest uh, privileges that, uh, that in my work, you know, I, I, can, I can have conversations with people on all levels of society uh, and I will also insist on that and I, and I think that that's, that is what the arts can do that you um, it offers you a different way of navigating in life and then just the film you know when they all go to see the show and, and um, the family is so proud and uh, not necessarily understanding not necessarily yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's and I'm not, I'm not saying that we're going to do Billy Elliot Young. I'm just saying that I, I'm just saying that's that I love that That's production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, when I saw that movie, I thought, what if it was crumping mm. that he was exposed to? Or what if it wasn't a white community? What if it was mm. some other community that had dancing in their culture in the mm. first place? Yeah. Would they not have become so entrenched and alienated from mm. themselves mm. at all? 
Um, but I had a similar experience where I, my first professional show was at the Opera House in Sydney. Mm. And I, have ne- I don't really invite my family along because they support me. I don't need them to understand. Mm. Mm. But knowing that there's a prestige around the Opera House, mm. I was quite adamant that my dad had to fly down to see me perform mm. with my mum and with my brother so that even as they continue to not understand what mm. I do, mm. they can know that I'm doing something because mm. there's a value around the work. Mm. Exactly. And I think that we all see the work that we need to do. And I value that somebody has grown my food and I value that somebody mm. has mm. driven it to the supermarket. Mm. I value that somebody else has put it on the shelf. No, but it's this thing about no matter, like it's the passion for what you do. And you always feel if you walk into a shop or you talk to a person, if you know, if, if there's a passion going on about what they do, and, and if you meet people that are in passion, that have that passion for what they do, then it's pretty contagious. Yeah, it is, and it um, it just creates a better life, you know. So the situation is dire, but we are all very lucky. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they come back to privileges again. Privileges and poetry. That's you and Billy Elliot. Any any other epiphanies before we finish up for today, or something that you constantly try to remind yourself? <laughs> I think it's about uh, remind myself and others about is that the space in between the performance and the audience, even if I am an image maker, it's actually the space in between the image and the audience I'm interested in. Mm. And the other things is kind of my tools to make that liminal space important. Mm. But for me, that space is a potential fitness center for empathy mm. um, and that is really what I remind myself about and, and try to enlighten in discussions both with audience and other colleagues because we have to treat that space carefully mm. because we have the tools and the access to compose in that space. And I think for me, it's just, um, I, I mentioned it when we were working together at the Bare Bones at the Gold Coast, um, that in my work, because I work a lot with people and with relations, it's this thing about being, being, being fair and genuine with everybody you meet. And also that uh, you never know who is uh, your magic fox, you know, that we all develop and, and, and grow in life. and. Uh, and it's the collaboration and how we support each other that uh, suddenly can make an idea into a project, into reality, into the fact that we're sitting here now in the studio at the Judith Wright Center having a conversation with you. So, power to the people. <laughs> <laughs> power to the poetry. Power to poetry, that's okay. We Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank, Thank you very much. much. Wow, guys. So good. How long was that? Uh, almost one minutes. hour, yeah, 55 minutes. Could we do a, I like that color wall. Please. Could we do like a shutdown there?